0: Uh, pray and we will get started heavenly father lord um, we come before you acknowledging that there is nothing in us that makes us acceptable before you there is no inherent righteousness infused righteousness by which we have earned any standing before you Uh, But Lord, we acknowledge, even as we just sang, that uh, there is no other righteousness that we have other than Christ. And we thank you that by your grace, your free grace, that you have clothed us with Christ. And may it be that in that day when we stand before you and to give an account for our lives, may it be in that day that we are found in him that the only thing that we claim before you is the righteousness of Christ. For that is the only righteousness that will matter in that day. And so I pray, Lord, that as we look at this topic today of justification and consider how it is uh, that we are made right with you, Lord, would you encourage us, would you comfort us, would you uh, build us up in this essential doctrine uh, that we uh, may uh, stand On solid ground the ground which is Christ we thank you Lord in your name amen well as you heard um, we are continuing our series on soteriology and there is no topic as it were that is more vital to soteriology to salvation than the topic of justification Uh, this topic is absolutely essential Um, this isn't just some ancillary doctrine that we study and we kind of you know work out around the the fire pit as it were there may be aspects from this doctrine that we do that we maybe don't present here as we can continue to grow in our understanding but what we must understand is that this is an essential doctrine it is a doctrinal pillar upon which the church is built This is what Calvin said regarding justification. He says, Justification is the primary article of the Christian religion, the main hinge on which religion turns, the principal article on which the whole doctrine of salvation and the foundation of all religion is built. Uh, You see, when we deal with justification and we look at this term, this term brings us into the courtroom of God And it is a divine courtroom, a courtroom that we are going to stand and give an account for how we have lived. And it is a courtroom that pleas of deeds will not matter. We stand before a divine judge, as we read even in Corinthians, right, that all things in that day open and laid bare. He knows all. There's no trying to trick him as to, why we should be accepted in his sight. There is no bending of his righteous requirements by which we may then enter in. And so we need to understand that when we deal with justification, what we are ultimately asking is, how is a man made right with God? How is he found justified in his sight in order to partake of eternal life? And so you can see that under that heading, um, justification is essential. If you stray here, you're in danger. Many people do. Many people stray and think that, well, you're in, you're in by faith, and you stay in by works. That's a problem. Because we don't stand in our own Righteousness. Some, even as the Roman Catholic Church believes, is that as a result of justification, we are somehow infused with righteousness, by which we in ourselves become inherently righteous. And so there's a dual aspect here. There is certainly the unjust being made just by Christ, but then we are so made just that we are then righteous ourselves in what we do, and therefore we play a part in our justification, our works do. There's a problem with that. And so justification speaks to the crisis that all men face. Right? They are born at enmity with God, separated from their creator. And they are totally depraved and in need of righteousness, in need of forgiveness. And at the end of the day, The topic of justification is what separates Christianity from all other religions. Why? Or how? It's not by works. That's right. The world bases it on works. How many times do we hear, well, I've done good deeds and I'll be okay. Or my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. It's also based on comparison well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not Hitler. I'm not, you know, whatever example they want to give. And that is because they don't understand the justness of God, the righteousness of God in himself. And so there is a theocentric foundation to this, you know, justification that God in himself is just and requires perfection. And we are not perfect. Even after we are saved, all of us would agree on that. We are not perfect. And so there's only one way in which we can be justified before God, and it is through Jesus Christ alone. That is it. There's no other option. Uh, In fact, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, we see a phrase here, and we see it repeated at various times, and we'll look at a couple of these instances. But in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this is what we read. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. When he says, The righteousness of God is revealed, What is he speaking of regarding the righteousness of God? Is he talking about a divine attribute of righteousness? Or is it the righteousness that is required, the righteousness being revealed in the gospel that will allow you in that divine courtroom to stand on that day? And I would argue that it is the second, the latter, That in that day, the righteousness that has been revealed in the gospel is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That he has done all that needs to be done for us to be found righteous and justified on that day. We see this a little bit later. And therefore, actually, along those lines, echoing what Paul said, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the very means that proclaims how we can be saved how we can be right in his sight. And therefore, we should love the gospel and we should preach the gospel both to the world around us and to ourselves, continually reminding ourselves no matter how much we progress in knowledge and understanding and even sanctification, it is not based on anything that we do, ever. It is solely the work of Christ. And we'll touch on this um, as we kind of move through the outline here. But turn with me to Romans chapter 3. You see, Romans 1 through 3 is truly an indictment against mankind. It gives the state of mankind. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They've been given over to various sins. They've pursued various sins such that we get to chapter 3 and it speaks of just the whole world being guilty before him. That there's none, righteous, no, not one. And they are truly in danger because the works of the law no benefit to them now but look at what we read in verse 21 this is a quintessential passage on justification there are many there are many that you could turn to this is one of them this is what we read here we see this phrase again but now apart from the law the righteousness of god has been manifested so separate from the law apart from the law there's a righteousness that's been manifested And it is Christ. And what is amazing is that this righteousness, it comes from God. Even as we read in 1 John 4, right, that he loved the world, he sent his son, um, and so forth. It, It is a righteousness from him. It says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. And here it is, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift. And this is a key aspect. It is truly a gift from God. By his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And here's where we start to see now this righteousness play out. You see, God doesn't just forgive sin, you know, willy-nilly, right? Okay, we're just going to push that aside and everything's okay. No, sin must be dealt with. And so here's what happened. Christ, Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, it wasn't that the justice of God was pushed aside it was properly dealt with and so it was dealt with in Christ such that we are not saved by works we are saved by grace through faith in Christ it is in him that we must be found and that is something that we had better make sure we are solid on if we are trusting in anything other than Christ then we are in great danger I think we need to understand that Um, Truly, what we see is that it is in Christ that God, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5 19, was reconciling the world to himself. Uh, this was the righteousness from God, this, this gift uh, by which it is a righteousness that allows us to stand um, in that day. In that day. And so um, I'll give us the 1689 confession of faith. Um, breakdown of justification again this is chapter 11 Um, each of these times i have been pointing us to the different sections of that particular confession but this is what it says God freely justifies that's important it's the free gift that we just read about freely justifies the person whom he effectually calls we looked at that last week the effectual calling he does this not by infusing righteousness into them who believes infusion of righteousness The Catholic Church, I'm glad you said no, that's good. (laughs) But that's right, the Catholic Church believes that we are infused with righteousness. Uh, Not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting them, accepting them as righteous. This he does for Christ's sake alone, not for anything wrought in them or done by them. So it's not what we have done, and it's never what we will do. What ends up happening is justification starts to get blurred with sanctification. And that is a key distinction that must be made. Our justification allows for our sanctification. Our justification leads to our ability to be sanctified. Uh, But it is not sanctification, and I'll explain that a little bit more here in a little bit. But it's not anything wrought in them or done by them. The righteousness which is imputed to them and that's another key concept we're going to look at imputation that is it's reckoned to their account as neither their faith another key aspect nor the act of believing nor any other obedience to the gospel which they have rendered but christ's obedience alone and so what it is saying through and through there is no way for us to be justified through anything that we do before we come to christ or after we come to christ The obedience that we render, not the grounds for our justification. Christ's one obedience is twofold. Um, I mentioned this a little later as well. His active obedience rendered to the entire divine law, and his passive obedience rendered in his death. Those thus justified receive and rest by faith upon Christ's righteousness, and this faith they have not of themselves, but the gift of God. So this is what we're dealing with. How can a man be made right with God through Christ alone? I guess that is the cliff notes of cliff notes, if you were to summarize it. Um, So, here's the breakdown. Very straightforward. I want us to look at the nature of justification. Uh, The nature of justification Uh, next, um, we kind of we covered it, but I want to look specifically at the ground of justification. Then I want to look at um, what do I have up here? The application of justification. How is it that justification um, is applied to us? And there's probably a n- little bit more that needs to be said. Even if some hear the word application of justification, they're thinking like. What's going on there? Um, and then finally, if we have time, um, Paul versus James. How many have heard of the issue You know, between Paul and James? Are they talking about two different things? Okay, well, I guess, nope. Okay, we're done. No. Um, <laughs> that is the right answer. But I want to just briefly, if we have time, consider... Um, What's going on there? How would we explain that to somebody when they bring up, well, James says it's by faith. How do we, you know, it's faith and works and so forth. How do we deal with that? What's the dynamic that's going on there? So the nature of our justification, like I said, we are brought into, by the sole use of this word, into the courtroom of God. And so we have to understand um, that our justification is forensic. It's forensic in nature. What is meant by forensic? Anybody know? Yeah, it's in the realm of courtroom. It's a legal term that speaks of demands of the law. There is a law that has been transgressed, and there is demands that that law makes on all of us, such that we are all, if we were left just to answer to the law, what would be the verdict rendered? Guilty. Guilty. And that is it. There's no but this or but that. It is guilty. The law has been broken. And so it is forensic in nature. Uh, it is a legal term. Um, scripture is. I like what Turretin said. Actually, he says, "Here we are in this courtroom, and we're before a judge. He says the most just judge. I can even picture like Paul Washer like saying this." the most just judge who neither holds the guilty as innocent nor the innocent as guilty that's who we're standing before and the full weight of the law comes to bear down upon us and so this is what we see this forensic la- uh, language in scripture here's just some examples it's replete um scripture's replete with this type of language There's the accusation of the law, Romans 3.19. This is what we read. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. We are all accountable to God. Those outside of these walls are accountable to God. Those in our family are accountable to God. And man, do they need the gospel. Do they need the gospel? Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Really, from the law only comes condemnation. He says, for through the the law comes the knowledge of sin. There is the punishment required by the law. Galatians 3.10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. And even Ezekiel says, The person who sins will die. But we also see on the other side, there's an advocate who pleads for his people. 1 John 2:1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous man. So there's a combination between what we were looking at before, the revelation of the righteousness of God, and then Jesus Christ, the righteous Even if you think to Jeremiah 23, 6, how is he referred to there? The Lord our righteousness. There's satisfaction and imputation, even as we read in Romans 3, right? There was a propitiation made. He took down the full wrath of God and extinguished it. Um, There's imputation in the sense of, um, you know, his righteousness becoming to our account and our sin going to his account, um, there's a sentence handed down or an acquittal grant, granted. Um, and so we see that justification is also offset over and against condemnation. Look at uh, Romans 8, 33 and 34. All of these this, this language and these phrases lend us to understand That the scene is courtroom. The scene is judge and defendant. Um, And this is what we read here in chapter 8, 33 and 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes For us and so we see there's forensic results here there's justification there's not guilty and there's condemnation or guilty Uh, and so there's certainly a forensic aspect uh, here so that when we are declared righteous that is the key phrase when it comes to the forensic aspect is that we are declared righteous this is something that is said about who, who we are in Christ now, that it was a declaration made about us. We are reckoned as righteous. It is not an infusion of righteousness whereby he looks at us and says, that person in and of themselves is righteous. Do you understand the distinction? Go ahead. Yeah, so infused is something that is in us. And so what they say is that uh, through faith, there's a righteousness that is now added to us uh, whereby it combines with Christ's work and those two together justify us. Imputed it's going to be like, this is us over here, this box. And here is Christ. Okay? So you have Christ over here. You have us over here. There's no righteousness here, right? Right? All righteousness is here. And this is what we ultimately even see in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning, we can. there's a righteousness that in that courtroom can stand and be found to meet the demands. His righteousness is put to our account. Um, I don't know how many of you are accountants like myself, but when you think of put to your account, you had nothing but liability and debt that is owed. And what Christ does is wipes out that debt, takes the full wrath of God. That's his passive obedience, that's in his death. But at the same time, it's not just a making us neutral, he doesn't just make us neutral. He imputes to us his righteousness, which is, you can refer to as a positive righteousness. How does he do that? How does he do this? We looked at it earlier when we read the uh, 1689. It was his active obedience, his keeping the law. He kept the law perfectly um, and gave himself willingly as a sacrifice such that he would say listen what belongs to them that's on my account so our sin there's a double imputation that takes place in that our sin is imputed to his account and he suffers the punishment and his righteousness is put to our account and we have now the right to be called sons of God that is the key Um, it's not just a neutrality it is a positive aspect where it is as if we kept the law, where we met the requirements. Now, that's the key with imputation, though, is we didn't do it. And fusion would say, no, 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 he did it, but also now you were enabled to do it. And that is where you have the blend of sanctification and justification because there are certainly works that ought to follow. And so you've got to make sure that we understand that we're talking about two distinct things. Um, that was um, part of the a- application of justification. Just to be clear, is uh, the imputation, and I'm fine um, dealing with these things, however they come up. But understand that that is a part of the aspect of how is it that justification is applied to us? It is put to our account through imputation. Um, that is ultimately, if you think of even like, I mean, we're spending Romans five. Um, or Romans, I mean, all of it, really. I mean, this is where we are spending the majority of our time, but Romans 5, um, verse 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, if you remember, we think of Adam as our federal head, the covenant of works. He represented all of mankind in that covenant, um, uh, you know, the, the covenant of works that was made, and as he went, so we went. And in this case, Adam, as we know, broke that covenant. He did not pass the probation. And thus he brought all men into sin. Uh, that is going to be seen um, even in verse 12. Therefore, just as one, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. That's what Adam brought. Now. Verse seventeen says, "For if by the one, uh, if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men." For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. So it is through his obedience we are made righteous. Just as through Adam's disobedience we were all made sinners. And understanding that covenant aspect where all men, we've heard it here many times, all men are in one of, under one of two heads. Either they're in Adam Or they're in Christ there's no other spot for them to be and so in Adam you're dead in Christ you're justified and alive uh, such that uh, the gift of righteousness will reign in life man that's amazing Um, I like this there even in verse 18 there resulted justification of life to all men we were dead and as a result of his work and him justifying us we have life Um, That is quite the amazing uh, transaction that has taken place there. Uh, And so it is a declaration that is made about us. Um, We're still, our nature is still what? Do we still have a sinful nature? So we can't be righteous. Even though we do righteous things uh, by faith, trusting in Christ, we're not righteous in and of ourselves. And so it can't be infusion in that sense. Um, Second, it's important to understand that justification, justification is definitive. What is meant by definitive? What are the two options? Definitive or, or and, progressive. What is progressive? What other part of our Christian life is progressive? Sanctification. sanctification is progressive. Okay. So, progression would mean that it grows. There's a growth in sanctification. We would all agree with that. Sanctification is also definitive, meaning the minute we are by faith Uh, By grace through faith justified in Christ, we are immediately sanctified definitively. God sees us as holy because of what Christ has done. But we also grow, you know, however it looks. You know, we've all seen those charts of however sanctification looks. So there's an aspect in which sanctification is both at a point in time, you are holy, but it is also progressive. Justification is definitive. Meaning, at that point in time, you are righteous in God's sight. You do not grow in your righteousness. It is not this progressive move from sinner to to saint, if you will, or sinner to more justified. uh, Sinner to more righteous in your standing before God. That is not the case. All righteousness is, is found in Him, and all of it is put to our account when we believe. Does that make sense? <laughs> Any questions or comments? Claire, yeah. I guess it goes back to the previous point, sorry back to backtrack. That's okay. As far as righteousness not done from us, how do we view that in the sense of when we're born again, God creates a new creature? hmm. Yeah, so we do. There, So, so this is where it's going to get, you know. There's inherent righteousness in us because we can do righteous things, okay? Uh, he is, because we are a new creation, we have the ability to do these things. But the key distinction that you have to make when it comes to that is that those are not the ground upon which we are justified before God. Do you see what I'm saying? So, we can do you know good deeds and righteous deeds and so forth and those are things that are certainly worked in us he makes us to will and to work for his good pleasure and there's even good works as we read in Ephesians 2 that we are created to walk in them so that's you know we can't separate any of that but we need to make sure they're in the right categories and so uh, yes new creation yes we do good works but it is never the ground of our justification does that make sense So there's no growing in our, you know, not guiltiness, if you will, is another way to put it, just to make it clear. It's like you're declared not guilty, and it's not like you're not guilty here, and then you're more not guilty here. Sanctification, you can be holy here, and then more holy as you grow in the grace and knowledge of him. So that's an important distinction. You can see, even by your question, it's, you know, justification and sanctification uh, can be blurred together. Um, but there truly are two distinct things. One leads to the other. One makes the other possible. Um, You're not going to be sanctified if you're not justified. Um. So the ground of our justification. Uh, We mentioned this earlier. We know the ground of our justification is Christ alone. This is what we read even in the the confession of faith. Uh, We looked at, we considered the fact that It is solely the work of Christ alone. And it takes both his active and passive work. It's not just, okay, you've obeyed and you're good. Why? Why can't it not be just the obedience of Christ, the the active obedience of Christ? That's that's right, sin needs to be dealt with. Okay, the law has been kept by Christ. What about the sin? See, there's no bending of the law in that courtroom. It needs to be dealt with, which is why Christ is so essential. His full work, the totality of his work, is essential. And it's truly glorious. Like when you sit back and think about God's plan of redemption and how he put it all together, all the stuff that went on, Christ fully obeyed and then he passively. He, he willingly gave himself up, and the willingness to this work of Christ is key. Why? I'm just coming with all the questions for you guys, so Why was it necessary that it was a willing sa- like a willingness I kind of just gave the answer away Because if I take your life from you, Josh, is that sacrificial? No, I'm taking it from you. You're not willingly laying it down. The willingly laying it down aspect is the sacrifice. where he say, Take my life. I'm giving it for them. I'm taking what they deserve and giving them uh, my righteousness. And so this is what we see, John 10, 18, uh, 10, 17, 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life I lay down my life so that I may take it again. And no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. You see, when they hung him on the cross, there wasn't a fight. though Peter wanted to fight and and bring it, usher in the kingdom and so forth. Christ was like, put that away. Like, I'm willingly going. This was the power of darkness. Uh, He knew it was for a time. He says, "I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my father." And so we understand that this work is the sole ground. Anybody that moves off of this, man, they need to be discipled. You know, you need to start assessing where do they stand. You cannot. I I have to stress this, like, because, you know, it'll be a family member and they're going to, you know, be over here. You've got to be sound on this. Christ alone, no other. Um, It is that essential. This is what we read. I like Romans 8:3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The law, not able to bring about righteousness, not able to be the ground for justification. But what the law could not do, God could and God did through Jesus Christ, through the sending of his Son. This is something Paul didn't initially understand, but he came to understand. Let's look at Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3 speaks of this paul thought that he had a righteousness of his own did he not listen to how he uh, explains this putting confidence in the flesh he says although i myself in verse 4 might have confidence even in the flesh if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh i far more and here's what he starts listing off all of these things that he did he says circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law a pharisee that's a powerful statement that is a keeper of the law diligently a keeper of the law diligently as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness which is found which is in the law so according to the law if you were to judge according to that blameless blameless He says, but whatever these things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here's the key. Here's how he wants to be found in him. This is also against infusion. There's not a being found in Christ and having a righteousness of your own he says no i want to be found in him um, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which comes from god on the basis of faith that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings so on and so forth and so you see for paul he came to understand the law is no ground for true justification before the lord and what he found was that he needed a righteousness that was not his own. Well, the only way to get that is through what we even discussed earlier, imputation. That's the only way that Christ's righteousness uh, comes to us, as it were, is through imputation. And so that is, as I said earlier, it's a, uh, you know, we looked at this briefly, but it's a uh, alien righteousness. It is a righteousness from outside of us. And so just to be clear, this is what Tertullian says in regards to imputation. We mean nothing else than that the obedience of Christ rendered in our name to God the Father is so given to us by God that it is reckoned to be truly ours and that it is the sole and only righteousness on account of and by the merit of which we are absolved from the guilt of our sins and obtain a right to life. Mouthful there, but that's what he is essentially discussing is that what Christ did in his work, um, it is put to our account as if we did it. We didn't really do it and therefore it is imputed to us. Does that make sense? This too speaks of a legal transaction that has taken place. Um, there's, you know, there's no uh, double punishment. If Christ is truly taken the wrath that we deserve then we can be sure that when we stand on that day because we stand before a just judge he's not going to have punished christ and then come and try to exact anything from us that should be a great comfort to us when we look to christ alone it's man we get to stand on that day in his righteousness we will still be judged Right There's still a, a judgment that we must go through. This is the tension that you see in Scripture. There's still a judgment that we must go through on that day. Um, and we will uh, be found in him. We will still give an account for our deeds. Um, but anything that we have done in righteousness, Mark, even like you were discussing, is um, where we would say it's all glory to him. He's brought it about in us. yeah that's right that's right. that's exactly right um you know justification and and imputation um in the work of Christ you know would be a good uh, additional defense for limited atonement um that if he has truly been punished, what left is there when you're standing before a truly just judge? Sometimes we have in our mind a difficult, there's a difficulty in trying to wrap our head around that because we see corrupt judges in this life. And we see law that is broken and a law that is twisted and bent to allow, you know, we do anything the stars do, we're in jail for 20 years. They just, you know, kick some cash out and they walk free. So uh, it won't be the case in that day. It won't be the case in that day. But there's also an aspect here where, Faith comes into play. Are we saved because of faith? No? Okay. No, we're not. I saw the shaking of the heads, but no, we're not. So what role does faith play? Mm. Okay, that's the word I used. So there you go. Yeah, it's the means or the conduit through which Christ's work is imputed to us. It's a, a trusting in him that what he has done is sufficient. That he has done what he said he did. Um, and so it is not the grounds of our faith. That's Christ alone. But faith is the means or the conduit. And so it kind of looks like this. Uh, this is what we see in Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith. Philippians 3.9, that which is through faith in Christ. Christ is the object of our faith. Uh, faith, if you will, is the means by which we lay hold of him. You never see in scripture on account of faith. It's always through or by faith, not on account of faith that we are justified. Right. Yeah, it's not through our faithfulness um, that we are justified. That's almost, um, in some sense, even that infusion aspect that, well, because we're infused with grace, now we're faithful, and therefore we're found in that day. Okay, no, it's by grace, through faith, in Christ. It's our position in him. And so, in other words, it's not Christ plus faith, but Christ plus faith, uh, Christ through faith, excuse me. And so, it's never Christ plus anything. I remember before I was saved, um, before I was saved, it was like always like, if I, d- it's like, okay, I know Christ is there, but if I do this, this, and this, then he'll hear my prayers, and all you know, this is this weird, weird mindset. But it was, for me, it's like when I look back to that time, it was always, in some sense, Christ plus something. Something I did. Did I read my Bible that day? Did I go to church? Am I, whatever it may be, and any time it is Christ plus anything, that doesn't stand. It's Christ alone. So, that leads us to uh, the dynamic of faith plus works. Turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 2. We have just a couple minutes here to take a look at this. James chapter (coughs) 2. You see this often brought up Um, by people, they say, well, there's contradictions in the Bible, and you're like, show me, and they say, well, Paul says you're justified by faith in Christ, by grace through faith in Christ alone, and then James comes around, and he says, I'll show you my faith by my works, and um, where is it exactly? Let's see. Oh, yeah, verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. We got what's going on there. Um, They will often point to that. Paul says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And then here we see that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. What are we dealing with here? How would you explain this? mm mm uh, she's mm Was uh, her faith had grounds because she was able to point to the evidence that was her work? Mm. Yeah. Um, even right before that, right with Abraham as well, you see a similar thing. But what was interesting is the offering up of Isaac later was the work that demonstrated that he was justified previously. So what we're dealing with is what many theologians have identified as what they call actual versus declarative. Meaning, Paul is telling us how we are actually justified by grace through faith alone in Christ. James, over here, is saying, faith can't be dead. Faith leads to doing good works, and those works show forth the fact, the truth, that you have been justified. And so, um, that is essentially what is taking place. Actual versus declarative. And In in another sense, it's how we show forth the reality that we have been justified. James Buchanan notes this, and this is really what it boils down to. Paul contended against legalism and the self-righteous tendency which leads men to go about and to establish their own righteousness and to see justification by works of the law that's what Paul's contending with legalism he we just read in philippians 3 that's what he did james on the other hand is you know contending against the antinomian tendency what's antinomian right no law uh, you probably ran into many people that would be antinomian they say it's all by grace it's just grace no law James is contending against that because that mindset then allows for much of the, the so-called carnal Christianity that uh, we even discussed last week to kind of creep in this idea that, hey, I'm saved by grace, I'm good to go, I got my ticket. So James is contending against that tendency which leads men to pervert the gospel and to turn the grace of God into licentiousness. And so it's not faith plus works Equals justification. That's not what James is teaching. But he's saying that the fact of the matter is, and this is where you start to kind of get that blend into sanctification, is that those works will follow naturally. And if they're missing, man, what does that mean? You're (laughs) dead. No, I mean, it should give us reason to pause and to examine. I'm making a profession... There's no works that are following along with that. I claim to be justified, but there's nothing in my life that would truly show forth that that's a reality. And that is ultimately, you know, what we're dealing with here. And so, the works follow on, but they are never the ground upon which we're justified. Well everything I just said essentially covered that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, what he is trying to uh, hit on is, I think like even like James Buchanan brought in, the antinomian tendency. Um, he is not at all making a case that um, works are added to faith. That's not what's taking place there. Um the the is justified by works and not by faith alone is speaking to the fact that if you're truly justified, the works follow and they show forth that justif they confirm that justification, if you will, that you have been justified in Christ. I guess the difficulty I'm alluding to is, you know, it doesn't say a man is declared or revealed to be justified. by mm-hmm. Sure, it's hard for us to translate. Sh- Sure, but I would also, you got to understand that you're not reading that verse in a vacuum either, and so you have all of Scripture, so you have like the analogy of faith, right, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and you've got to be able to merge the two, and so you would see in this case that uh, w- even with the examples that were given of, of Abraham and so forth, um, that precedes that verse, uh, many of the commentators even had pointed out that that example with Isaac came after he was already reckoned right um, as uh, righteous Um, it was it was before that and that example there in Genesis then where he goes to do that is basically showing forth the reality of that yeah now what I want to do because we got to go there are books in the bookstore Highly recommend The Doctrine of Justification by James Buchanan. Phenomenal work, thorough work, gives you the history. Um, One of probably the best books out there that um, at least I am aware of. And then we have, there's a two-volume set by Michael Horton as well on justification. Um, Outside of that, any of the systematics, Bavinck, Turretin, um, so on and so forth. I mean, they're out there. Highly recommend diving into some of the depths on this because... Like we started with the essential nature of this doctrine, we had better make sure we are solid. Um, This isn't one of the doctrines that you can kind of be like, well, it's not hereticalness. No, like you start going off. There's a narrow path, and this doctrine is fraught on each side with danger. And you go down, um, it's it's extremely dangerous in that sense. So you want to make sure you're solid on it. So, okay, let's go ahead and worship.